The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who still thinks that Pablo Lopez should have gotten to medical school, Jordan. He had a chance when he was 16, you know, go to medical school in Venezuela, and he said, I'm going to be a pitcher. Okay? I'm going to be a pitcher. I'm going to be a Mariner and then a Marlin and then a twin. We are, of course, going to start with Pablo Lopez chat. Hi, Jake. Good morning. That man could have saved lives, okay? And instead, he chose to throw balls and strikes. Uh, it's fine. I don't blame him. Uh, Pablo Lopez will be our first topic today. Jake, it's good to see you. We are back podcasting on our last episode. We were like, hey, let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame and then we'll do some other stuff. Just kidding. We ended up talking about the Hall of Fame for 70 minutes. We enjoyed that episode. We hope you guys did too. Of course, we will get the Hall of Fame announcement, I believe, tomorrow um, to see if any of those uh, baseball players will be getting into the Hall of Fame alongside Fred McGriff. Quick pop quiz, Jordan. Hit me. The song Hall of Fame... <laughs> Who sings that? I believe it's the script. Correct. Because uh, I yeah. almost made a reference. I was certainly found myself listening to it a couple of times after we recorded last uh, week's episode. And relevant maybe to your intro, uh, I believe uh, there are lyrics in that song. You can be doctors, right? Teachers, astronauts, right? Uh, Pablo Lopez, baseball players. They, they I don't, don't talk about that. Doctors made it. The lyrics, doctors I'll just read them it? quickly. It's, I'll just read yeah. it quickly. Be students, be teachers, be politicians, be preachers, be believers, be leaders, be astronauts, be champions, be truth seekers. So no no doctors, no doctors. That's that's concerning. That feels like an obvious one to to plug in there. But anyway, uh, enough script talk. Let's talk about baseball. Unscripted. (laughs) Very much so. Uh, we have a rough outline. We'll see how much we stick to it compared to last week. Um, but let's begin. We have a lot we want to get to. I'm not going to preview it like last time because who knows how much we'll actually get to. But we will begin with Pablo Lopez. The The trade that we have all been waiting for. We have had a couple juicy trades out this offseason, but not very many. And with so many of the big free agents off the board, this was really the one big transaction we were still waiting for that we were expecting, right? We could still have some crazy trade that happens before spring training that we're not anticipating, but the Marlins trading one of their pitchers for a hitter is one of the moves that we were all waiting for, specifically Pablo Lopez, since they have an army of of young pitchers who are under team control for far longer than the two years that are remaining on Pablo Lopez's contract. They have an army of armies. (laughs) An army of armies, (laughs) both both sides, all kinds of arms. Um, and because of that, Pablo Lopez, though he has been one of the, their more reliable pitchers, of course, and good pitchers of the last two years, they were going to, to trade from that surplus and try and get some competent hitters. This became even more obvious after they uh, signed Johnny Cueto to uh, fill in a non-existent hole in their rotation. <laughs> now, let's just take 30 seconds to talk about the Johnny Cueto entrance because it's the, what a, it's, it was great podcast material. One of the greatest... 
um, just vibe entrances we've ever seen. Not that Johnny Cueto's vibes are questioned at any point. This is just one of the greatest videos I've ever seen. Johnny Cueto's uh, entrance at Marlins Park with his giant uh, speakers behind him. The One of my biggest beefs with free agent signings is that there's not enough pomp and circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Even when Aaron Judge came back to the Yankees, it was all very buttoned up. Right. He just shows up, he puts on the jersey. Not celebratory. It was very like, "Mm -hmm." right. He just says how happy he is to be there. Right. And that should be a celebratory moment. And I'm sure it is for him. You know, he does it behind closed doors away from the cameras. Johnny Cueto is for the cameras. Okay. And so (laughs) I loved that he treated this late career, the beginning, remember my take, the beginning of Johnny Cueto's last chapter of his career, the, the, the renaissance that is to come. True. He knows how important it is. And so totally. he treated it as such. And he was like, yo, these speakers are crazy. What if I get to bring them into a giant empty ballpark? I mean, the acoustics were unbelievable. It reminded me of the All-Star game when we got to see uh, Pitbull uh, practice his All-Star game performance <laughs> during or before the Home Run Derby. I don't remember the exact sequencing, but it was just blasting. And it was just by himself, strolling up to the mound in a suit. I mean, it was just... It made me laugh so hard, and it just made me so happy. I love Johnny Cueto. So anyway, uh, so Johnny Cueto's on the Marlins now, and that meant that, okay, great. Now we got 150 excellent all-star innings, according to Jake, that are coming. So we can now tra- – it's even easier to trade Pablo Lopez relatively. So who are we going to trade him for? Well, it became very clear that there was going to likely be a match to be made with the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are desperate to add pitching as they try and uh, show Carlos Correa, like, hey, not only will we – give you more guaranteed money than everybody else. But also, we you actually can win here. We would like to do that in this, you know, the AL Central, which is always sort of up for grabs. And it was like, all right, well, what's the what's the match here? Like, they're trying to trade Kepler. Do they maybe trade from one of the other young outfielders, whether it's Kirilov or Larnick? But it was clear that the Marlins have, <laughs> are going the opposite direction of last offseason in terms of getting big power, big swing and miss. They got Segura. They got Jacob Amaya, and now they get the preeminent con- contact hitter in all of baseball, Luisa Rise from the Minnesota Twins. Uh, when I scroll through my phone contacts, yes. everyone is Luisa Rise. <laughs> okay, that's how yes. much contact. Highest contact rate uh, possible. This guy um, makes tons of contacts. Let's listen. The Marlins side of this is, I think, much more interesting. So let's talk about the Twins quickly because this one. I mean, trading Arise, who was just an all-star, a batting title, like one of their best hitters in 2022, is definitely a choice. Uh, But when you look at where they're at and what they need badly, this does make plenty of sense, and Pablo Lopez is very good. So let's just talk about Pablo Lopez and the Twins before we get to all the Marlins ramifications of this deal. Pablo Lopez, what type of pitcher is this guy? Well, I made a joke in the intro about him going to medical school, and that is a real story when he was an amateur prospect coming out of Venezuela. He was like super genius, mm-hmm. right? Like he spoke three languages and I think he was like fluent in Portuguese too. And, you know, he uh, he was going to go to medical school and then he was good at baseball. And his family was like, <clears throat> you should go to medical school. And he was like, I'm going to go be a professional baseball player. And it turned out to be the right decision. Jordan, do you think he and fellow medical student Paul DeYoung <laughs> uh, ever talk about doctoring? <laughs> I think Pablo Lopez is way more legit in that sense. Also, I'd rather have Pablo Lopez, the pitcher and the doctor, than Paul DeYoung, the almost doctor and shortstop. Who has better bedside manner, Pablo <laughs> Lopez or Paul DeYoung? If you go to the ER, who would you rather have helping you out? 100% Pablo Lopez. And this is another good thing. We'll get back to him on the field. 
I mean, just a beloved teammate, just obviously a very bright individual, but just like the no one of the nicest people and and most humble and and just cool, nice major leaguers you have. Which, by the way, you could also say about Luisa Rise. So this is a this is a a mensch for mensch swap here. <laughs> for for the Marlins and Twins, both, both some of the more beloved Venezuelan players uh, that we have. Uh, what type of pitcher is Lopez? So you mentioned he started with the Mariners mm. as an amateur in Delta, Miami for David Phelps in a trade that has <laughs> aged like half and half hey, left what out did, on the counter. What did, what did Jerry DePoto tell us? Uh, you make your trade, you don't look back. Keep on moving forward. <laughs> keep on moving forward. Uh, the pitch mix for Pablo Lopez, fastball change, cutter curve, but the moneymaker is the changeup. And what's unique about Pablo Lopez is his ability to throw that changeup to lefties and righties, right? Mm-hmm. As a right-handed pitcher, you would predominantly use the changeup against left-handed opposite side hitters, but he's able to throw that kind of in under the hands to a lot of righty bats. And what I thought was interesting, he throws or in 2022, he threw more changeups to righties than fastballs. Mm. So he he's so confident in throwing mm-hmm. that pitch to righties, which is a very unique look. And the pitch moves enough and gets under bats enough that it's effective. Well, and I would say it's also relevant because this is not an overpowering fastball, right? Um, this is not uh, like some of the other Marlins arms um, whose shit is just like unbelievable, obviously, Sandy first and foremost. But even the younger guys like Lazardo, like Eduardo Cabrera, like Sixto Sanchez, remember him. Lopez is a little craftier. Now he's not a soft tosser, right? But it's it's a little it's a little more again uh, secondary reliant. If he wasn't this smart, I think he would be a worse pitcher. But because <laughs> he's like hyper intelligent, I think it helps his like good but not elite stuff play up. And that's the thing about him, right? He is a solid mid rotation arm a number three starter joining a rotation full of number three starters. And let's transition here to the twins. Their opening day projected rotation right now is Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, and Kenta Maeda, which is building the entire plane out of three starters. And I think I mean this in a good way, right? Yeah. And this is very cliche and I sound like a baseball player, uh, color commentator here. But every single day, their arms are going to give them a chance to win the baseball game, Mm -hmm. right? None of these guys are going to win the Cy Young. And none of these guys should finish the season with an ERA over five. Mm -hmm. And that there's real value to that. Now, I think one of them could maybe take a step forward. Maeda, if he comes back from surgery, you know, uh, I guess that's really the only one. Well, I mean, I think I would say... Joe Ryan would be the one to yeah. to kind of say who who hasn't hasn't totally established himself yet that maybe there's some upside there and you know they they have still some depth with guys like Bailey Ober who was really kind of coming on but he he was injured a lot in 2022 you know they'll they'll have Paddock coming back from TJ too I know we're not super high on him but still you know we've seen a three starter upside with him I think it is curious though because Paulo Lopez is weirdly barely older than Joe Ryan. <laughs> And so, you know, maybe there's some more uh, to take a phrase from our our, our Fangraphs uh, friend, Eric Longenhagen, some developmental meat on the bone here. Maybe there is still a little more untapped upside with Pablo Lopez. But if not, still, like you said, totally a good 
a good acquisition, a safe acquisition. He just made 32 starts. You know, he's had some health issues um, here and there, but we know the Twins don't have any issues with any medicals, so that's not a concern for them. <laughs> um, but I would say uh, that that Lopez is is this is interesting. They're looking at because when you say when they're all three starters. Yeah, is, is he going to start opening day? I, maybe. Uh, someone I, has I, to be the one starter. Yeah, someone is going to be the one starter and someone is going to be the five starter. I think Maeda is a huge X factor for them. I, I, and I have no idea what to expect. He's sneaky old, right? I mean, he's already almost 35. So, um, but, but obviously, we've seen him be really good in the past. So there's, in some ways, there's a lot of certainty here. But uh, it's, it's an interesting rotation, I agree. And in a division where pitching depth, you know, even Cleveland last year, uh, an organization that is chock full of arms was starting Aaron Savali in a playoff game, yeah. right? They gave 24 starts to Zach Plesak, right? And so there is, who is fine. There is something valuable about having five adults who will go out and give you five to six innings every single time. Agreed. So now at the same time, they just traded one of their best hitters, Luis Arise, and we'll get to his friend of the Marlins in a second. But they are going to have to replace it. It seems like there was sort of a, an odd fit here. Once Correa comes back, now you have a situation where, okay, great. Now we move Polanco back to second. We really want Jose Miranda to play, but do we want him to be playing third base? Kirilov's kind of in there. I still am looking at this like I'm not super sure that they could – like they have like young guys that you can project if they're healthy can kind of step right in. Kirilov, Larnick, Royce Lewis at some point. I'm a little worried here that maybe they have have bitten off more than they can chew in terms of replacing Arise production. Um, but it's it's I think it's worth again. I'm not saying it's not a good deal. And and by the way, we should also mention they got two prospects in this deal too. Uh, Jose Salas, one of the Marlins' top uh, shortstop prospects, and a, and a guy in the DSL, Byron Churio, who played really well. And those guys could make the deal look really good for them down the line. But let's move them aside for now. In terms of 2023. I mean, where do you see them them filling in this guy? Nick Gordon, by the way, who was quietly really good last year, should also be a part of this this mix. I think this was a roll of the dice worth mm-hmm. making because the, the a good Twins team needs one of these other bats to step up. Step up anyway. Right. right. That was anyway. going to have to happen anyway. It was going to yeah. have to happen anyway. And I yep. think that they do have, like you said, that group of Miranda, Gordon, Kirilov, Larnick, Royce Lewis. Yep. That's enough decent va- mm-hmm. like decent players there where you have to give those guys a shot. And I think that the trade-off between that and, you know, having another reliable rotation arm, it was a trade worth making. And like, how do the Twins win the division, right? Mm-hmm. They win the division by having a six-win season from Carlos Correa and 120 games from Byron Buxton. Yeah, right? I mean, health is still the headliner here. Correct. <laughs> Yeah. And so for me, Luisa Rise wasn't going to tip the scale in one way or the other. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, that said, uh, and let's let's flip it. And listen, I don't I don't want listen. I, I know people are some people are really high on Salas and, and Churio, and like again, that could make this fairly lopsided. But there was a reason that they took it in. I mean, it was two years of Lopez for three years of a rise. So we like it for the Twins. Makes sense. Sure, they'll have some at-bats to fill, some on base to fill. I mean, maybe their defense maybe should improve still without a rise. I know that's a shortcoming of his. So let's flip it to Miami. Let's talk about Luis Rise because Luis Rise is probably one of the more unique players he is that we have in baseball. He is just, I mean, to call him from a different era is is almost underselling how unique he is because this is a guy who for over four seasons – um, you know, almost 400 games. So not, not full, you know, 600 games or so 
more walks than strikeouts, a 314 career average, and just one of the most delightful at-bats that you will watch. As, as, as pain in the ass as it gets to pitch to is Luis Arise. He can play multiple positions not so well, which is one of those. He's one of those defenders where it's like, yes, you can't put him anywhere. It's not like the Marlins are going to put him at second base, which is, of course, a big part of this conversation. But as far as reliable bats and, and as far as it seems desperate to have a guaranteed 300 hitter, this is, I mean, honestly, I don't know who else I would literally bet my life on hitting 300 in the big leagues more than Luis Arise. I, I don't know if there's a single other hitter that I would do that for. <laughs> and and he is that. And and yes, oh, he's just only hit singles. You know, 31 doubles last year. Like there is some slug. The the hard hit rate and the exit wheels were up a little bit this past season, which is what made him an all-star. I love this guy. And I I, I really do think he will help the Marlins a lot. I, I really do. Uh, he has fewer strikeouts in his career than Joey Gallo had in 2022. Yeah, and Joey Gallo wasn't even like playing full time easily, right? He's 131 strikeouts in 389 games. Um, <laughs> and Joey is, Gallo yeah. had 163 strikeouts in 410 plate appearances. Yeah. So the the contrast there is is obviously amazing, and, and that's the Twins, you know, just brought in. But but for the Marlins, like the, getting him and getting Segura and and. The criticism I, I understand of this deal from the standpoint of why are you giving up, you know, some of your only good prospects, hitting prospects for a guy who's not like changing, like, you know, oh, this just doesn't make them win. It's like, dude, they have to do something like they they it might not work. That's true. And maybe this is all overall value is spitting out that, oh, it's not good to give up even two years of Lopez and, and Salas and all these things for, for a rise. I, I like this. Like, I, is it going to make them analyst contenders? No. There's not a single transaction they can make that is going to do that. And so <laughs> this does make them, I think, better. Honestly, I really do. If if some of those young pitchers can take a step forward and, and fill in some of those innings, which I think they are going to have to also, in the same way that you described those twins hitters, these young models pitchers are going to have to show up and deliver at some point too. A lot of them are up in the upper minors or already in the big leagues. And so this was a, a move that we all kind of saw coming. And the fact that they could get a controllable hitter as good as a rise, I do think is a win. That doesn't make them a, a guaranteed slam dunk win of a deal. I do like this for them. We've talked about what is the Marlins path to contention, mm-hmm. right? And when they're playing in this enormous park with so many guys uh, who were power bats, right? It did, Like Garcia and even Jazz and, you know, Soler, like it doesn't fit. Our recommendation was they should just lean in and be the 2015 Royals and get a lot of guys who make contact and steal a lot of bases. They finished second in steals last year, play good defense, win games three to two, and they have pivoted to that this offseason between Arise and Segura. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like it. Like you said, there's no way this team wins the division. It's impossible, right? We're playing with a different set of expectations here. A good Marlins season is them going 500. Right. Mm -hmm. And jazz staying healthy and -hmm. a lot of the pitchers developing. And that's fine. That's okay, Right. Yeah. And like it's not I know that (laughs) this is the thing. I I understand that they have made a lot of bad moves and they have not earned the benefit of the doubt recently. Correct. You know, they have. And I get that. Right. And that's fine. I just feel like this like you got to try something different and I can't blame them for doing that, even if they didn't make the right trade that baseballtradevalues.com is telling you. Like, honestly, like I just, I just, I am glad they're trying something different and to kind of blend with the guys that they have. And yeah, they need so many things to go right anyway. I think having some certainty here too. And Arise is just so fun. Like he, I, 
I, I, I think he will be a great fit for them in that sense. Uh, now that said, one of the one of the words you said in there was play great defense as a possibility for the Marlins to be good. So so but I, we have to get to that part of this conversation. But was there anything else on a rise specifically? No, I would like to talk about the part of this that makes absolutely no freaking sense. <laughs> so the trade happens and then two hours late. Well, so, OK, so the trade happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And then people are on Twitter are like, what does this mean for jazz? Is jazz going to get traded now? Jazz plays second or rise plays second. And that was just dumb because yeah. when I saw that, it was like, oh, Jazz was a shortstop in the minors. Like they got rid of, you know, they traded away Miguel Rojas. Oh, they'll just move Jazz to short. Like, yeah, why are and people then they have Segu- about it? We, we know they said Segura is going to play third. So it's like, okay, well, Wendell wasn't good last year. So maybe he just becomes your utility bench guy, which makes sense for Wendell at this point in his career. Like that, uh, that, that made sense to me. I was like, okay, great. So Jazz will be at second. Jazz will be at short. We'll put a rise at second, which maybe you don't love. But if you want to keep Cooper at first, like, it's fine. You know, it wasn't going to be a great defensive infield, but it made some sense, right? And then, <laughs> like, just basically, like, three minutes after being, like, saying we, we got Deleuze Rise and, you know, they get Kim Ang on the press conference or the, the conference call or whatever, she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Jazz is going to play center field. <laughs> We're all like, oh. And this was, it was just so funny. This was at, like, 6 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh. Oh, okay. All right. Jazz is going to play center field. All right. Let's have a good weekend. Uh, See you guys. (laughs) It's like, what? Okay. So why are they doing this? Well, Well, first of all, here's why it makes no fucking sense. Jazz Chisholm has never played the outfield. He never played the outfield in the minors. Not a single inning. He has never played the outfield in the major leagues. Not a single inning. Baseball is not as simple as taking your super athlete and being like, go play center field. You'll be great at it. Now, maybe it is that simple and maybe Jazz will be good. He is certainly, you know, smart and athletic enough to figure it out. And then there was a quote from him being like, I'll go out there and win a gold glove. Like, I love the confidence, Jazz, but I'll take the under on that just because it's really hard and you've never done it before. And what really makes no sense about this is there's no reason to move Jazz to the outfield. The guy they have in center field already, uh, Brian De La Cruz, was like pretty good in center pretty solid. You have one of the biggest like expanses of grass in terms of area in center field to cover for a guy who's never played center field defense at all. It's not like you have to get Joey Wendell's bat. In that's the, the part I don't understand. So to me, I actually have no pro like if, if I'm going to bet on some random never played an outfielder to play center field, jazz is pretty close to the top of my list. And like, if he does manage to, I'll take the under on gold glove. If he does manage to be good out there, I will not be surprised. And I love that. And Ken Rosenthal had a good story about it today on the athletic basically saying it was entirely, he was full since before this, this was not, they came to him after say like, Hey jazz, actually, can you play center field the whole off season? He was like, actually, like if we don't get a center fielder, which again, back to your first point, I don't know why they're looking for one. Brian Dela Cruz is fine, but it seems like they were looking for a center fielder. And when they didn't jazz was like, let's do it. I'm going to be a center fielder. I'm not going to bet against Jazz figuring it out. That's not the problem. But it's everything else you just described. It was not necessary. And unless part of this is that they really don't believe in him at shortstop, which is possible, right? And they're just saying, all right, let's just try and... But it still doesn't make any sense to try and force Joey Wendell into the lineup. That part, I'm just totally... Let alone Joey Wendell's defense, who's, I mean, a great defender at third base, but really has not played that much shortstop recently either. So that part, I, I really don't get. So I'm totally with you at the same time. Dude, I, I am not, I would not be surprised if Jazz figures it out. The part I don't love is 
putting him out there from an injury standpoint. We, after coming off of uh, missing uh, a big chunk of this past year with a back injury, like that's the part that risk-wise I do not love at all <laughs> is putting Jazz out there to play at full speed as recklessly as I'm sure he will, which is why we love him. But that also kind of scares the shit out of me. Um, but from a talent and from a from a standpoint of just like random guy figure out center field, I'm not going to bet against them, and I'll, we'll see how it goes. But the rest of the fit is bizarre for sure. What's <laughs> and interesting it. and bizarre about it for me too is like, okay, so who gets pushed out of the starting lineup by this shift, right? So you are essentially moving an outfielder to the bench. Yeah, and it's, you're you're basically saying Solaire or Garcia is going to be playing more DH. Right. Of than outfield, assuming Dela Cruz is going to be in the outfield full time, which I think he deserves to be. And what's confusing about that to me is that the young Marlins hitters who need time in the big leagues to see if they are worth being on the next good Marlins team are almost exclusively outfielders, right? Mm-hmm. Between Dela Cruz, Jesus Sanchez, Burdick, and then Burdick JJ Blade, and Gerard Encarnacion, who is probably not that good, but. You need to give those guys a chance to see if they're anything. And now the outfield is more crowded. It, it, it's just a bizarre. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Like It's, it's really so weird. weird. And now it's like, okay, now you're going to trade one of your outfielders for a pitcher? Like I, I, like a reliever? <laughs> like I, I just, I'm so perplexed here. And, you know, if you thought we, we just put out this whole long YouTube video about the Marlins and how weird they are. And then they've only gone and gotten weirder since. And we love it. We want this to work. Like I am rooting for them to figure this out. Um, and but it's just it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Is it like a John Birdie move? Like John Birdie s- stole 41 bases last year somehow, which I don't think I realized. Is it yeah. like, oh, I guess a girl will like or sorry, Arise will play first and Birdie will play second. And then like, no, I DH think no, Cooper. They, they said Arise is going to be at second. So I think it's about keep the, the part that doesn't make any sense is the Wendell part. I can understand a rise at second and my all-star Garrett Cooper at first base. I believe in Garrett Cooper. Fine. Whatever. Right. But the Wendell part is just so perplexing. And I, I, I didn't hate when they traded for Joey Wendell. He just, he just does not look like that good of a hitter. So, or defender at short. We haven't seen that recently. So that is the part I cannot get over at the same time. All that said, I do still think Arise will improve. I mean, maybe I, he's look. He's obviously not a great second baseman. That part's all fine. It's just weird. And and it, honestly, if anything, it just tells me there's probably another weird move coming. Yeah. Uh, one more thing here. You know, we've talked about the Marlins' inability to develop young hitting. And when I go on their Fangraphs roster research resource page and I see the original signing info for their entire lineup, no one was originally signed by the Marlins. Arise, Twins, Segura, Angels, Chisholm, Diamondbacks, Cooper, Brewers, Garcia, Tigers, Soler, Cubs, Wendell, Cleveland, De La Cruz, Houston, Stallings, Pittsburgh. Like, they're just like, oh, we can't do this. No, it's true. Hey, hey, Nick Fortes, though. Nick Fortes. (laughs) Nick Fortes is going to hold it down. And I do believe in Peyton Burdick, although obviously it's much harder for him to get playing time now. So, so weird. Come on, Marlins. Make us proud somehow. All right. That was super, I, I, as always, uh, longer than expected on, on Pavel of his Luis Rashford, but it's one of the more fascinating moves we've had in, in some time. Uh, Jake, we did miss uh, some other transactions. We're going to run through these a little bit quicker, uh, and then we're going to take a break. Um, but I did want to hit some of these other moves 
that happened. Oh, 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 wait, sorry. I forgot to mention that they also might be about to sign Yuli Gurriel. <laughs> oh, the Marlins? <laughs> which, which would only make this all the weirder. Okay, anyway, let's move on to some other moves. Let's just run through these quickly. Um because we, we want to cut. Look, I, I know there are even the smaller transactions. There are fans of teams out there that want to hear us say three sentences on them. So we're going to do it. The Boston Red Sox offseason continues with uh, some semi-peculiar uh, moves. They have signed Lee Dome uh, Championship Series MVP Jorge Alfaro, which is cool. Jorge Alfaro getting a deal before Gary Sanchez, who's still a free agent. Um, so he's some depth there behind Reese McGuire. And then Adam Duvall, who uh, is... You know, it's weird. I, I don't know what to make of Adam Duvall anymore. He's always younger than I think he is. Quality outfielder. It seems like he's just going to be their center fielder now, and Kike is going to play shortstop. Another strange shortstop decision, for sure. Uh, but this is fine. This is fine. It's just that the story injury is is really kind of pressing them into action here. Very high and bloom move to fix the Trevor story injury by signing Adam Duvall, <laughs> who is just a worse version of Hunter Renfro, yeah. who they had... And then traded away yeah. uh, for Jackie Bradley, Bradley Jr. Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Not, not ideal. Not ideal. The Red Sox. I think that like Chaim Bloom has just been so active this offseason. Like he's just been signing and trading guys at a pace that I feel like every week it's like, oh, that's a that move makes the Red Sox like 0.03 percent better, <laughs> and it it has added up. And when we've been yeah. harsh on him, but I I don't hate this one. No, I, I don't hate it. it. It's fine. It's just, it's just. Uh, I mean, the story injury really screws up. Did you see him getting super booed at the uh, at the Red Sox fan fest? Uh, Bloom, Who? Bloom, and John Henry at the same time, even really after, just, even after the Devers extension. They just um, love booing, man. That's true. They they boss big big doors. All right, uh, the Kansas City Royals signed Aroldis Chapman. So that's a thing that happened. <laughs> that's this. This was a weird one. Also reportedly, also almost a Marlin, Aroldis Chapman. Uh, but instead, he who finished uh, 2022 in disgrace in multiple ways, both on and off the field, um, will now just be going to Kansas City for some reason. I imagine this is just a. I hope we can trade him, um, but. Uh, weird, weird fit. And honestly, like, I guess we got like three and a half. Like, is that the most he was up being offered? I'm still kind of surprised by that, but I think that shows to show you how much people do not really want to roll as Chapman on their team for many reasons. And that is very understandable. Um, so just a weird, a weird one and kind of disappointing, honestly, for the Royals. Like, like this, this is not the vibe that we should be putting into this clubhouse. And also does not really seem like something that Dayton Moore would have done. This that is, is perhaps our first uh, takeaway that this is, oh, that's how J.J. Piccolo is different. Okay, got it. Uh, and what's weird about it is like from strictly a player perspective on field, they have Amir Garrett already who is a lefty who throws really hard and doesn't and walks too many guys. And like you and would probably like want him. him and teammate and you would want to train him at the deadline. Like it's just an odd, odd fit. But congrats to Yankees fans. Wait, why? They're done. He's, They're done. Oh, because he's not on the Yankees anymore. Official. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's a. I guess that's a, that's a win. Congrats, Raise Yankees the, fans. It's the closest the Yankees have come to winning a World Series. <laughs> I know there are a lot of Yankees fans that are very happy to be to be done with Royal Shevin. Uh Brewers signed Brian Anderson. This is just funny because their broadcaster is already named Brian Anderson. 
Um, Brian Anderson, also part of the weird Marlins history and that he's one of the only hitters they've drafted and developed to be pretty good. And then suddenly he sucked in the last couple of years and then they non-tendered him. And now I'm sure he'll have like a 112 OPS plus for the Brewers. That is an extremely <laughs> predictable way for this to go. Uh, and congrats to Brian Anderson, the broadcaster, one of my favorite baseball broadcasters we have. So he had a funny tweet about that. The Mets signed Tom. Sorry, I know you have nothing to say about Brian Anderson, so I'm sparing you the the. You're, <laughs> I, I love that you know me that well. <laughs> Tommy Pham, I think you might have some thoughts. The Mets signed Tommy Pham. Um, I know they were also. It's like, oh, are they going to get McCutcheon? Are they going? Are they going to get Adam Duvall? Or one of the, they get Tommy Pham, another peculiar clubhouse fit, kind of a, a, a volatile clubhouse fit. If that, listen, we don't have. You make all the Jack Peterson jokes you want. Um, that's fine. We don't want to talk about fantasy football, so we're just going to avoid the, that those jokes. As a baseball fit, what does this really uh, signify? Um, I guess more insurance for the young guys, maybe fewer DH at-bats for uh, Alvarez. By the way, they still have Darren Ruff, which <laughs> I don't know what the plan is there, <laughs> but it seems like that is maybe just going to pretend like he doesn't exist. I think the thought process here is if we sign enough players over 30, some of them have to stay healthy. How much that much older can they possibly get? I mean, Tommy Pham is yeah, 35. <laughs> they're just they're really putting together uh, quite the men's league I team. I mean, if Starling Marte gets hurt, it's just like, "Mom, we, can we have Starling Marte? We have Tommy Pham at home." You know, it's, it's like, dude, I it's fine. Tommy Pham's fine. I just, it's, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not excited about that. I, I saw our, our good friend uh, Bobby Wagner tweeted. He'd just be like, why don't we just get Jerks and Profar? <laughs> Who's like, if we, if we really need a left fielder, a little more versatile, like we have all this money, why are we paying Tommy Pham? Um, speaking of bizarre, speaking of Tommy's, one Tommy to another. Uh, listen, I uh, kind of follow the Mariners very closely. Mariners signed Tommy Stella. I don't know. I don't know why this happened. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand this one at all. Uh, sure. Uh, he's getting him for the minimum. Maybe they can find, I, this is another one of those examples where they tried to get Tommy Lestella two years ago and Jerry Depoto just can't let go. Uh, same thing with Colton Long. It's like, I'll, I'll get you someday, Tommy Lestella for some reason. So he's on the Mariners bench now, which is fine. I mean, again, better bench. Sure. Whatever. Uh, and then the last one is the well, A's signing. Maybe it's, oh, yeah. is, is there like a Tom and Jerry joke here? Oh, Ooh, maybe you think Jerry's just doing a bit. Well, what's funny is like, you know, in Tom and Jerry, the show, like Tom's chasing Jerry. Jerry, But, really, but in this, Jerry DePoto chasing, is chasing Tom. Chasing Stella. Tommy, Tom, mm. Tommy, Tom, Tom Murphy. Tom open Murphy up knows. your, okay. open up your fourth eye. Watch some cartoon. Uh, last Looney move. Tunes. Last move before we go to break. The A signing Shintaro Fujinami. I am fascinated by this one. Because this is someone who is one of the more uh, highly talented pitching prospects in Japan for a while. Then he just got super injured and completely forgot how to throw strikes. His stuff is basically back, so he's throwing really hard. It seems like the A's are the only team willing to give him a rotation spot, which I love because like they're like, sure, fuck it. Who cares? Like, well, well, Why not? Let's see what happens. My favorite thing about this is that they had his press conference and Scott Boris was there. <laughs> his agent, Scott Boris. There for an Oakland A's one-year, $3 million signing. I understand, you know, he did Yoshida's deal too, and that's, you know, $90 million. That's fine. This, honestly, to my recollection, is the lowest dollar signing I've seen Boris at for a presser. 
Um, I know it's a little bit different circumstances because it's a player from overseas, and I'm sure it was much more, uh, you know, he wanted to have that personal touch, and I get that. That's awesome. But like respect to Boris. I know we've talked a ton about Boris on this on this uh, on this podcast, but I love seeing him there. I thought that was great. I like the idea of Boris walking into the Coliseum. He's like, "This place is a shithole." What is <laughs> that was my this? Other thought. Boris was like, "David Force, it was nice to meet you. It was the first time." What, and <laughs> what col- what colors do you guys wear? It's- I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure there have been Boris clients on on days. I, I don't know, but it's just it was very very funny to see after after this offseason. It's like Scott Boris has negotiated a billion dollars of contracts, and here he is in Oakland. I like he shows up. Is uh, Charlie Finley still around? Is he still the owner? I haven't talked to him in a oh, while. Oh, they would have been homies. Finley would have been caught. Steve Cohen would have been blown. I mean, I, I he didn't maybe you know have Steve Cohen money, but uh, he certainly had Steve Cohen ambition. Um, and that Scott is, Boris, uh, <laughs> Scott Boris, just interacting with the Oakland A's is just yeah. so funny to me. So like, I love it. Yeah. Oh, but I am, and I am, I am really interested in, in this Fujinami guy because it's total lottery ticket and. I mean, I, to me, it's just like I will tune in to watch him pitch for right, the A's. Right. And there aren't, uh, there's not a ton of things that are going to make me turn the A's on. This is one I'm very curious about. Boris shows up. He's like, oh, sorry, I'm late. I stopped off at Vegas. I thought you guys had moved already. <laughs> We're like, oh, sorry. I was I'm negotiating with, with actually multi-year, multi-tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. There's other teams that are actually willing to make that happen. <laughs> Do you know that numbers go that high? Anyway. Sorry, Ace, we love you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with more content on Baseball Barbacast to be determined during this break. Negro League's Baseball Museum president, Bob Kendrick, hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Neither of us own... A baseball team, but thirty no, we don't thirty people do uh, in this in this country. Kind of, I guess it's more complicated than that. We're going to talk about two of them here: uh, the Castellini family in Cincinnati and the Angelos family in Baltimore. Jordan, where would you like to start? Uh, listen, this this could be a a thirty minute discussion. Uh, I'm sure that is happening already, if not already, on our friends over at <laughs> Tipping Pitches. Um, but we just felt like we had to acknowledge this. Uh, something that uh, baseball fans often decry is, "Wow, some owners we never hear from them. They never speak publicly. There's no accountability. We never actually get to hear them." Kind of stand up for themselves and, and for kind of to explain the actions that they're making, whether it has to do with payroll, whether it has to do with, you know, management or, or hirings or whatever. Oh, like I wish we could hear more from our owners so that they could actually speak to the fans. And then you have situations like what's happened over the last few weeks where uh, Phil Castellini, uh, a son of, of team CEO, Bob Castellini in Cincinnati goes to the, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a VIP luncheon. Um, I believe the, the Rosie Reds luncheon. This is a, the Rosie Reds are a philanthropic social organization that's been around 
for decades uh, within the Reds organization of just like, you know, season ticket holders and close fans, supporters of the team and local community. And he basically just went into this luncheon and spoke. And I don't know if he assumed that no one would like share what he was saying, but basically brazenly complained about how baseball is being ruined by all the teams spending too much money and the Reds have no chance and teams are out of contention on opening day because all these other teams are spending too much money and then calling the Reds a nonprofit and just all these things. <laughs> and there's a great rundown from, from C. Trent Rosecrans on The Athletic. Um, it's just the kinds of stuff that it's like, why do you think that fans want to hear this? Why do you think that they want to hear excuses for why your team sucks or excuses for why your payroll is so low? And yes, we will say it is worth noting that as at the last uh, list of richest owners, the Reds are the lowest as far as uh, the, the most recent reporting. The Reds are the team, the owners with the least money. That literal, is a fact. Literal poverty franchise. That is a fact relative to the other teams. And yes, we know they're in a smaller market. That is a fact. However... That doesn't mean that they are not super crazy rich and cannot afford to spend more money on their payroll and spend more money. That's obviously, right? And so when you hear these things, it's just like, one, like, wh what are we, like, are, are, the best version of, of him saying this, does he think the fans are going to be like, you're right, it's okay, we suck, eh, so what? <laughs> eh, all right, too bad. I'll just keep on hoping for the best and, you know, maybe the other teams will just stop spending. Like, what? What do you, what is this? You think this is good PR? I, I, it's just completely perplexing. Um, so that was the Reds. And he's already put his foot in his mouth all kinds of way. Last year, where he's like, where are you going to go? You know, the best thing we could do is move the team. What are you going to do? It's like, all right, yeah, we just won't show up. We'll have the lowest attendance in however many years. Great. That's, that's what's going to happen to you. Um, so that was disappointing in one category. And then uh, in Baltimore, Jake, tell me what happened uh, in Baltimore last week. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> um, so, uh, the guy who has run the Orioles forever named Peter Angelos is old and I believe unable to do the day to day, uh, anymore. And so there is a fight between his two children, the Angelos sons. Uh, I believe one is named John and the other, Lewis, I believe is named Lewis and John P. Angelos, who, by the way, I gotta say incredible Balmer accent. Just sounds absolutely <laughs> he has amazing. That going sounds for amazing. <laughs> It's it's very authentic, right? Like he he is from there, very clearly. Uh, during a press conference on Martin Luther King Day, uh, he was John Angelos was asked John Angelos, who has not, I believe, talked to the media twice in the last four years or something, was asked about you know the payroll and the viability of the franchise and all these real questions about the books, opening the books, and he was basically, I'm not talking about this on MLK Day. MLK wouldn't want me to talk about what's going on between the lines, which is incredible. The idea that MLK is is like, yes, I would not. I want my day. My day should have no. No one should be talking about Anthony Santander on my birthday. I'm MLK. MLK didn't give a flying fuck about you. Okay, about the Baltimore Orioles. It's okay. Someone asks you a question, don't hide behind MLK. All right. And I, I like that you know what redlining is, Mr. Angelos, but you you don't need to use it as a shield to avoid talking about the very real problems happening with your franchise and your television network, the Massive Fight. And what struck me with both of these things, Jordan, is I think what we have are the children of rich business people who don't have a grasp on reality. Correct. And I think this is more relevant in the Castellini situation a little bit. And maybe I'm only saying that because of Angelos's accent, but like it, you just have lived in the shadow of your 
dad who has run this team, who has been an institution in the city, who, you know, criticize billionaires all you want. Like they did things like Papa Castellini and Papa Angelos ran businesses and like did stuff. Right. Whereas these guys haven't really done stuff. And so they don't really know how to interact with the fan base or normal people or whatever. And so what you end up getting is they are saying things to the public that they say to their rich friends behind closed doors because they're only around yes men. And that's why things like this happen, in my opinion. No, I think you're totally right. And it's it's both like we can laugh about it, but like it is insulting and frustrating, um, especially you know, even more so for Cincinnati, who has just been trending down in such a, a disappointing way. And yes, they have some young talent, but, you know, the Orioles, you know, you can laugh about it and be like, all right, it's fine. We have the best farm system. We're going to be awesome. We should still be good this year. We're trending up and the roster's good. And then we trust my glass, whatever. The Reds is just like, after the kind of season that they just had, man, to come in there and just complain, like, yeah, yeah. So there's just so many levels yeah. to it. It's just insulting. And the Angelos thing didn't piss me off that much. Like it was just yeah. goofy. <laughs> it was, it was just more goofy, goofy it was, than it was embarrassing else. in a different sense, right? Yeah, I think Angelos is more in touch with reality than Castellini is. I yeah. think it's maybe not the fairest comparison. I just yeah, made. no, I, right. it was. They just happened to happen back to back weeks, and it was hard <laughs> to, to. I think, and, and again, you just, you drew the through line, which I think is super fair. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a good a good sense. Um, but yeah, we just had to, <laughs> just had to mention that because it was so silly. Uh, all right, uh, Jake, let's, let's get back to the actual field. Quite literally the physical field. This is some news uh, we had some, a couple weeks ago. And we, we put it off and, and now we got some, some more similar news. More ballpark changes. We just talked about the Orioles. And last year they, 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 they introduced Baltimore. They pushed left field way back and moved it way up. And they said, no more home runs for you, right-handed hitters. No more. No more. Austin Hayes, go play in Japan. <laughs> I said, Ryan Mountcastle, these are, you know how they usually said those doubles are going to turn to homers. Those homers are turning into doubles, baby. <laughs> and Trey Mancini, those homers are turning into flyouts. Sorry. Um, so that's what the Orioles did last year. And again, why do teams do this? They don't do it because it's funny. They do it because they think it will give them a competitive advantage. And in the Orioles case, it turned out to basically be true. For all the jokes we made, it did clearly help their run prevention. Great. Okay. So we have two more examples of this. A little more subtle, but definitely ballparks that you could say, wow, that's kind of extreme in this way. Detroit, first and foremost, has been one of the more pitcher-friendly, homer-unfriendly ballparks that we have in baseball for years. They are moving the fences in. And the obvious response to this was, one, good. Two, that doesn't make your hitters better. <laughs> and so uh, this hopefully will help a little bit. And I, I do hope that, you know, a couple more of those Torkelson fly balls and those Riley Green opposite field line drives help you know that center field was so far away it was really once we got rid of the hill in houston it was really the only center field that we have that was just like how the fuck is anyone supposed to hit that it was like what do you want me to do with this <laughs> especially when it's 35 degrees for the first <laughs> two months like this is just not not crazy and i'm sure miguel cabrera would have had 50 more home runs and whatever i'm sure exaggerating so that's coming in and and moving down um, in in right field as well. So hopefully a little more, a few more homers uh, in Detroit. So that makes sense and not surprising. Where Elias comes in, he's like, "Dude, what the fuck?" Scott Harris comes in. The 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 Avila family was not going to do anything. They were like, "Yeah, of course, this is normal. This is what it should be." Scott Harris comes in, he's like, "Guys, this is ridiculous. Let's just move the fences in." 
we're allowed to do that. This guy came <laughs> from like, oh, San okay. This guy came from San Francisco, and he was like, "This place is too big." He's like, "I'm sure, right?" And now San Francisco's, and they, they even they have moved the fences in too, right? Like, I mean, they 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 they've made those adjustments. But the one that's more curious is is a much more dramatic renovation that I did not totally realize was happening in Toronto. They are like totally overhauling basically everything in the outfield in terms of the outfield seating, and you know they're adding uh, all kinds of restaurant and special seating, all that stuff. But it is also impacting the actual fences and dimensions more than I thought it was going to. Notably, the power alleys are coming in. Now, they are moving the fences up a little bit. I believe they're going to be a little bit taller than before. Uh, but, I mean, for an offense that doesn't exactly need help hitting home runs, this could really make this park. It almost feels like they'll be like, God, all those homers we lost in Baltimore. How can we get those back? Oh, how about we just move our fences in? <laughs> This is part of the Vlad Jr. extension. This is, you know, oh my this is God. convincing you're you to so stay around. Right. You're so there are right. pictures up on sportsnet.canada uh, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, it's pretty drastic, man. Like, it's it's going to look this, really different. Not, yeah. I mean, I it's I think the dimensions, it's not super crazy. Um, I know uh, Scott Mitchell tweeted it out here. Let me get the, the exact dimensions here. So left center um, is going to be moving. Now, I know people are like, oh, say it in meters. Well, sorry. Uh, you can do the adjustment. Uh, right center field power alley moving in from 375 to 357. Left center field 375 to 376. Center field 400 to 397. Lines are expected to be about the same at 328. Um, so even if those fences move up, I mean, moving them in that much is, I mean, Dalton Varshow is chilling. So, uh, love that. It, it's Yeah, it's going to move from 114 meters to 111 meters for this okay. view. Thank tuning you. in north of the border. <laughs> uh, Jordan, you know, all these uh, dimension changes, when they came to my mind, it was like, Jordan, if you could change any ballpark's dimensions, if you could snap your fingers and, and, and move, move fences in or out, what would you change? So obviously, selfishly, I've thought about this for the Mariners who've had a, a hitter-unfriendly ballpark. Although dimensions-wise, it doesn't look crazy. It's more about kind of the <laughs> you have the, kind of the thickness of the air, and it's just it's not it's not hitter-friendly. But I don't think I would change anything about T-Mobile. Um, Detroit would have been one of my first picks just because it it just made me so angry when I would see so many fly balls up there. I'm trying to think of other ones that that stand out as, as notably egregious. I mean. Here's what I would do. I would have more ballparks have the extremely short fence down the line. The way that they have in Tampa, just down left field line, obviously in Boston, right down the line, and in LA, both corners have those. I kind of like those screaming liners down the line that can be home runs that are kind of goofy, but are also easy to rob because you're you know taller than the forfeit fence. So maybe not specifically, but I, I kind of like more of those. What about I you? would put the hill back in Houston. I would fix the wall and left in Baltimore. Bring that back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm mostly about reverting to the past. <laughs> okay. I would move the uh, green monster in about 20 feet. I'd move it in about 20 feet. Let's get weird. Okay. Yeah. Would you put a flagpole back in uh, in the outfield in Yankee Stadium? <laughs> I would. I would move the, uh, what is it called? I'm totally blank. Yeah. I would move. Uh, what the ballpark are we talking memorial, about? Memorial, the memorial. What is it? The Memorial Park. What am I thinking of? In center field, in Yankee Stadium. I look Monument at it Park. every day. Monument Park. Monument Park. Duh, boy. Uh, I would move in Monument play. Park back in play. In play, right? Like it used yep. to be. I would move right field in Yankee Stadium, the short porch. I'd move that in another ten feet just to piss mm-hmm. off more people because I think that that's funny. <laughs> uh, I would change all of the outfields where it's standard across. 
Mm-hmm. So like the Dodgers, the Royals, I would give like a little jut somewhere. Mm. I'd jut it up, you know, give me a little jagged edge somewhere just for a little I, quirkiness. I think I would just make cores even bigger. Yeah. I would push it back even further, I think, um, even more outfield. And then another one, this is totally counter to the one I just suggested before. I do think that the fences that are just a little too tall to rob home runs kind of drive me crazy. Yeah. And so I, I, I would prefer some more standardization from the standpoint of if you're going to have a fence, like the one in Baltimore is perfect, right? Like the trout catch Part of that is that it was the perfect size wall for for home run robbery, where you needed to jump. It did require effort, right? But it also thank wasn't you to the, completely impossible. Thank you to the Angelos family for making that possible. <laughs> thank you. So, so yes. Yeah, so I, I think those are some some good ones. But there's so man, there's so many. But but I do I, I I just wanted to bring this up because I think this is an interesting trend that maybe will become more common, where front offices are going to their owners and they're like, look. We can change something. Like if it helps us, let's just change it. Like let like let's let's do this. And now that we've seen a, a bunch of them in recent years, I am curious to see uh, which other ones kind of kind of pop up. So I think that will be very interesting oh, to watch. The one I would change is I would uh, knock down Globe Life in Texas. I would just get rid of it. <laughs> also, just move it back change. across. Just go back to where they were before. Go back across the street. Yeah, <laughs> no more Globe Death. Uh, okay, those are our our dimensions recommendations. Now we move on to our email segment. This will be our last little chunk here today. Uh, we have a great email from Jasper, a uh, couple parter, uh, which is a f- fun discussion here. Um, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's baseball, B-A-R-B-cast at gmail.com. Uh, so keep those coming. We'll try to get more to more of those throughout the off season. This email again comes from Jasper. He says, hi, Jake and Jordan, long time follower, only recently a listener. Oh, loving it while on a run. Oh, well, Jasper, if you're on a run, enjoy this. Enjoy this go, response to your email. <laughs> go faster. I've got three questions I'm hoping you'll consider. All right. First one is really, the first two are, are combined. So he sent us uh, <laughs> visual aids, as he says. And he sent us uh, two uh, charts, a bar graph and a pie chart of Cy Young Awards by team. So Cy Young Awards are won by team. Um, and he asks, uh, as you can see in image one, there remain only two MLB franchises that have yet to have a pitcher win a Cy Young Award while a member of their team, the Texas Rangers and the Colorado Rockies. Which team gets a Cy Young first? Uh, and then and as, uh, in addition to that, do you think a Colorado Rockies pitcher will win a Cy Young in the next 50 years? Uh, then we'll get to his, his other question after this. So love this question. A couple thoughts on this. First of all, I don't know if this was inspired by the fact that Sandy Alcantara became the first Marlin. Uh, to win a Cy Young. So that checked the Marlins off the list. It is also worth noting that the Marlins now join the Reds as one of the only teams with one, although that is Trevor Bauer. So that basically doesn't count. So you might as well say that the Reds are also looking for their first Cy Young. Um, But let's focus on the question. Rockies, Rangers, neither of them have had a Cy Young ever. Jake, I'm looking at you, looking and telling your screen, and I imagine you are running the exact stat head search that I did this morning, uh, but maybe not. Uh, so I can reveal some of my research and then share my thoughts on this, or would you like to confirm that, uh, my suspicion about what you were just doing? You are correct. And I mean, you should just, you reveal it cause you know, you, you already did it. So, <laughs> okay. So again, this is the easiest way to do it. Uh, good, good adver- advertisement for, for stat head on baseball reference. I basically just went, okay, all right, well, the best, best Ranger seasons by a pitcher ever by, by B war, right? Great. You can do F four two, whatever. 
I did my B-War just to kind of get a general sense. And I thought, wow, Rangers. Rangers have been around since 1961. Holy shit. Okay, like what the hell? We don't have a, we don't have a Cy Young yet? Now, the first thing that stands out is that the two highest war, B-War seasons ever by a Rangers pitcher were both in 2019, Mike Miner and Lance Lynn. How freaking bizarre is that? And that's Love really it. just because they both threw 208 innings. And that's how you compile B-War generally, throw a shit ton of innings, um, especially now. Now, that said, you're like, wait a minute. We had you Darvish when he was awesome. They had that Nolan Ryan guy. Even at the end, he was still pretty freaking sweet. Of course, Nolan Ryan. That's a fun fact that everybody knows. He never won a Cy Young. You Darvish came damn close in 2013. And you could argue deserved it statistically over Max Scherzer. I know he didn't even get a single first place vote. But it was pretty damn close dominance-wise. Of course, he had more walks. But Max Scherzer had 20 wins. And at that point, we still really cared about those. So... Uh, Darvish getting second place, um, in 2013 is very close. You know, they had, <laughs> but other than that, they really haven't come that close. Are there any other Rangers guys you want to mention here? Let's focus on them first. Uh, John Matlack. <laughs> yeah. Or, where, where did he finish? I guess that was, uh, this is in 1978. Uh, John Matlack did not receive a, a single Cy Young vote. <laughs> <laughs> and he threw 270 innings with a 227 ERA. Yeah. So there, which was we, a 165 ERA plus in 270 innings. He didn't get a single Cy Young. So the, the next closest one by far, I think, is Fergie Jenkins, who in his first year with Texas in 1974 finished second in the Cy Young um, with, a, with an excellent season. That was a few years after he did win the Cy Young with the Cubs. So Fergie Jenkins came really close. I'm trying to see in the voting. He got, wow, he got really close. So he barely lost out to Catfish Hunter in 1974. So that almost so, ruined this, this fun fact. I think the Rangers will be next. I don't think there is anything inherent about the Texas Rangers that prevents them from winning a Cy Young. They've gotten very close a couple of times. I think the Rangers simply being bad over that's the course a of their of history. Yeah, that's, just that's, that says way more about it, right? Yes. And now that they play in this enormous stadium and have yeah. Jacob deGrom, Thank it you. feels like they'll be I next. mean, the fact, listen, we are not particularly bullish on Jacob deGrom's long-term health. At the same time, <laughs> they them <haven't>. signing, like <laughs> literally had they not signed Jacob deGrom, I would be significantly more pessimistic. But they might just, he might just win it this year. Like it might, <laughs> it might just, just get that over with. So I think I totally agree, especially with the stadium now being much more pitcher-friendly. Totally agree with you. I think the Rangers is totally possible in the next 50 years. Let's talk about the Rockies. <laughs> Jordan, in 2010, I'm pretty sure that Ubaldo Jimenez won the first half Cy Young. He did. And that was one of my favorite pitching seasons that we've had um, by far. Uh, I would say that was one of the, for me too, like this is still when I was like really into the Rockies, like early in high school. Ubaldo, like I have a Ubaldo jersey still, you know. And that year, he finished third. Now, you're right. First half, I think it wouldn't have even been close. He would have won. He ends up finishing third. And, and that season is so iconic to for the, the guy that, that conquered Coors. I mean, that's really what it was. We watched it. We were like, how is this possible? How is someone pitching this well in Coors Field? He ends up finishing third um, to Roy Halladay and uh, Adam Wainwright. Um, second in war there, just behind Roy Halladay. So... That was an amazing season. And then, completely quietly out of nowhere, Kyle Freeland's 2018 was also even more higher B-War 7.7. He finishes fourth, I believe. This was in his, his sophomore season with the Rockies. An amazing year, 285 ERA and 200 innings. Obviously, the strikeouts weren't really there. 
But everyone knew that it was a special year and he finished top five. Which brings me to my hypothesis about this, which is that I do think it will happen. And the reason why is because while it is so hard to do, they will get bonus points for doing it in Colorado. And I think... Kyle Freeland, were that where he had that year not in cores, no one gives a shit. <laughs> but the fact that he finished fourth that year with a great, a really good season, but not anything by any means like, oh my God, tells me that if someone does pull off a Ubaldo type season and maybe does it in the second half instead of the first half, I think it is possible. Now, do I think that person is in the organization right now? No. <laughs> is that person alive? <laughs> is that person alive? That's another good question. So that's that's my hypothesis about this. 50 years is a long time. But what do you think? I think I agree with you. I still think it is really hard. And in order for a pitcher to do this, they won. They need the Rockies to be somewhat relevant, I think. That's because true. And, and, and Kyle, which they were when Kyle Freeland was good. Right? That's true. But even like Kyle Freeland dominating for the Rockies as a tree falling in the forest doesn't make a sound. Like, yeah. I know he was from there. And if you're from Denver, Kyle Freeland's 2018 was cool. But like, it didn't make waves on a national no, level at all. And so that's what I think they need. They need someone who with good PR where you're like, <laughs> that guy fucking rules. That's the Cy Young. That's dominant. Doing it in cores. Be better if the dude threw a curveball, right? Oh, which, which, see, that's interesting. I was wondering if it was like, do they need to do something that like is what everybody thinks you need to do, which is like an like basically like a Fromber type, like a Fromber yeah. type somehow you know wins a <laughs> wins a Cy Young by posting a seventy percent ground ball rate in cores or something like no, that. The opposite. Yeah, yeah. a curveball like so a, good it cuts through the air. You want to, or like a fly ball pitcher that somehow only allows like ten homers in cores. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, just to, again, give you a sense for how impossible this task is, even though I just said it will happen. Let's just read off these names. Highest B-War single season Rockies history. Kyle Freeland, number one. Ubaldo, number two. Pedro Astacio in 1999 with a Woo! five ERA. <laughs> who gave up 38 home runs. Is <laughs> the third highest B-War in Rockies pitching history. <laughs> Led the league in home run. Uh, Yuli Chassin, Joe Kennedy, uh, Ubaldo, again, 2009, the year before. Jason Jennings, Marvin Freeman, shout out Marvin Freeman. Kevin Ritz, <laughs> Gabe White, Jorge De La Rosa, Aaron Cook, what a legend. Um, and then Herman Marquez's best season, 4.1, also in 2018. So um, it's fucking hard <laughs> what about so. that year that uh jason marquis was an all-star oh jason marquis i think that was 2009 right uh he was uh to 3.5 so we got him we got him 115 strikeouts in 216 innings for jason marquis <laughs> okay uh and then uh jasper so that so that's those are our take on them jasper's other question which which i think you you can answer quickly i mean this is a bigger discussion but i do think it's interesting what are your reactions to the growing rumors which totally exist that MLB is considering re- retroactively awarding pitcher Armando Galarraga with a perfect game following the upcoming release of Jim Joyce's memoir, in which Joyce supposedly discusses his infamous call reveals that he formally petitioned the commissioner's office to have the call reversed? Thank you again for all that you do. Good luck. Thank you, Jasper. Hope you're enjoying your run. Um, what do you think about this, Jake? Give it to him. Here's my take on life, generally. If you can do something that doesn't harm or otherwise create negative 
situations for human beings, do it. Who is the loser here? If you give this guy this accomplishment, no one loses. There is no victim if you do this. Hold on. Wait. No, there is. There is one. There is one victim. There is one victim. Who was the hitter? Was it Jason? Who was the hitter? I'm forgetting. You're taking like 0.01 batting average away from that guy, whoever that was. And I'm forgetting who it was. Who, Who was it? This I don't think that, I'm forgetting. that counts as victimhood, but I appreciate where you're coming from. For me, it is all of the, it is a perfect storm to retroactively change history because yes. this was the last play of the game. And so as far as I'm concerned, this play is still under review, okay? <laughs> Before we even had video replay, this play was the last play of the game. It's still under review in my mind. Change it, overturn it. The ump, you know, Jim Joyce knew he was wrong in the moment. He petitioned to have it overturned. Who fucking cares? Uh, Like Armando Galarraga is somewhere doing something with some people. And like, I hope he just gets an email that's like, hey, you got a perfect game now. (laughs) Hey, what's up? Your perfect game is is valid. Um, I totally agree. Uh, Jason Donald, not Jason Tyner. How dare I? (laughs) Mix those utility men up. But you're taking one of Jason Donald's 142 career hits away. I mean, you want to say that to his face? You want to tell Jason Donald he actually has 141 hits in his career? Okay. Jason Donald, come on the show. That's fine. That's fine. It says here that Jason Donald had Boris. Boris might have something to say about that. (laughs) Let's see. Maybe Boris is the one stopping this from, from being a perfect game. No, I totally agree. Totally agree with you. I think that's a great point about replay. Still under review. Um, and, uh, and yeah, no, it's uh, no notes, no notes. I hope they do it. Maybe it will happen. It is interesting. Also, like, I, here's another reason why I think it could happen. It would be something, it would be one of the easiest things that Rob Manfred could do that people would be like, nice, yeah, Rob, yeah, nice job, Rob Manfred. Thanks, Rob Manfred. <laughs> it is free PR. They should do like a whole, like, oh my God. It, honestly, that, that, it, it's a layup. I'm sure there are some people that that are feel very the opposite, um, and right there are some people that say like, well, no, but that's what made it not perfect, even if it was a blown call. Perfect is perfect, so I know some people feel that way too, and I honestly I, I can sort of relate. Um, had this happened after Felix's perfect game, I would not be advocating for it to uh, happen. Anyway, um, <laughs> all that said, uh, let's cut it off here. This was a delightful podcast with you, Jake Mintz. I had a great time. Did you have a good time? Uh, I think so. I'll I'll let you know later. Okay. We'll be back uh, later this week with another podcast. Who knows if we have any transactions uh, to talk about, but we have all kinds of other fun stuff. We will have, of course, the Hall of Fame announcement tomorrow. So maybe we will have uh, additional Hall of Famers to talk about. Um, But other than that, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode of Baseball Wirecast. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for co-hosting with me. Thank you to the Miami Marlins for just giving us, just, just, buckets of content um over and over week after week so i sign you Guriel. the the content will continue uh but otherwise thank you for listening leave us a rating review we really appreciate all the support and uh, we will talk to you later this week serious xm podcasts